Pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl have you been begging me for a book for years. Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding, the press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book but our book. I realised after my talks around the world women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away but to have a tangible source to have forever and this is it. This is refreshing never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. Dr. Robin Stern is a licensed psychoanalyst, co-founder and associate director for the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and an associate research scientist at the Child Study Center at Yale. Robin is the leading expert on gaslighting and is the author of The Gaslight Effect. In this episode, Dr. Robin explains gaslighting, the first signs, and answers the question, how do you know if you have been gaslighted by your parents? We also talk about the Me Too movement, gaslighting language being used in the mass media, and ways to gasproof your life. Hello, Dr. Robin. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Could you just begin by explaining to our audience what gaslighting is and where it really originates from? It's a form of psychological abuse where the gaslighter attempts to sow seeds of doubt into the uh, in the gaslightee in order to help them or lead them to question their reality, their character and sometimes even their sanity, while he or she is insisting that their reality is the only reality. And there's something wrong with the gaslightee that he or she doesn't see that. When did gaslighting, this term, really come about? When did it start? Has it always been around? It may have always been around since the movie Gaslight. So it probably got its start at that point because, or that's, that is when it's credited to have started because the movie Gaslight was set in England um, at a time where there were gaslights used to, uh, rather than the, the lighting we have today, to illuminate rooms and to light up streets. And uh, in the movie, the 1944 movie that is famous with Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer, um, the diabolical husband who is trying to drive his wife crazy in order for him to steal her uh, the jewels that her his, her aunt hid in the attic after he murdered her or before he murdered her years ago um, complicated way of saying that he he was really an evil guy trying to undermine her and convince she was convince her that she was crazy he was flickering the gaslight 
in the house while he was upstairs looking for the jewels in the attic. And when she asked, did you see something? Did you notice anything going on in the attic? Um, he said, of course not. No, I didn't see anything flickering. And more importantly, when the character played by Ingrid Bergman um, was had accepted a gift that he gave her on their first outing, uh, he said, well, don't, don't lose that. You know, you, you're very forgetful, Paula, her name in the, in the movie. She said, don't be silly. I'm not forgetful. Because at that point in the relationship, like in most gaslighting relationships, Paula was strong and confident in her, in her um, reality and in her perception. And so she was able to just fluff it off and say, no, 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 that's silly. But then the audience sees in this movie that Charles Boyer character steals the brooch, this gift he had given her, out of her bag. And so she's furiously looking and frantically looking for it. And she begins to believe that after all, maybe she is forgetful. So by the end of that scene in the movie, you, Ingrid Bergman character named Paula says to her husband, you're right, maybe I am forgetful. Oh, I'm so tired, Gregory, his name in the movie. And what's interesting is in a few minutes in the movie, you see what could go on for months in real life, where somebody starts out undermining you or making a comment that is intended to have you second guess your, your perception. And you think, ridiculous, why would he say that? You know, you're flirting, honey. Everyone can see that. Not flirting, don't be silly. And after a while, if he's insisting, you're flirting, honey. I saw that, you see the way he's looking at you? Look at that, you're just not aware of it. You're too naive. You might begin to second guess yourself. And if you are vulnerable to gaslighting, you will begin to second guess yourself. And you will say, well, is it possible? And maybe it's so, and maybe he's right. So is there a difference between gaslighting and manipulation or is gaslighting a form of manipulation? Gaslighting is a form of manipulation because you're manipulating somebody's reality, but it's different than straight out manipulation. Let's say we don't agree on, on the kind of movies that we like to go see. And um, we have a movie date. And I might say, oh, you know, there um, we're going to run into one of our friends at the other movie, Let this movie, let, let's go. And so I manipulate you and go into the movie that I want to go to. But I'm not necessarily, or at all in that example, trying to undermine your perception and your reality or your character. Like what's the gaslighting version of that would be, what's wrong with you? You know, your taste in movies is really questionable. Everybody knows that. You don't have, obviously, you don't have a critic's eye. You choose the movies that are flops all the time. And then you may think to yourself, gee, I do. Maybe I don't have a critic's eye. What's wrong with me? If it's months later, and I've been asserting that all along, there's something wrong with me. Okay. And is... Gaslighting, you have said it's a form of abuse. Would you say it's as strong as other forms of abuse? I would say that it is sometimes stronger than other forms of abuse. And in fact, when I was writing my book um, in uh, 2005, 2006, uh, for the first time, 
and I interviewed women who were leaders and counselors in battered women's shelters and shelters for battered women, they said to me, the psychological abuse, the gaslighting is far worse than the physical abuse because you, you will heal from the black and blue. You can point to the people in your life who cause that black and blue. But when you feel like you have, you've lost your soul, you've lost your joy, you've lost your self-esteem, most of the time women are pointing the finger at themselves and saying, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Even when they realize that they've been involved in a gaslighting relationship, even when they are, they have the opportunity to name it by understanding what it is, they still might say there's something wrong with me that I was vulnerable to that. What's wrong? Nobody else would have been vulnerable to that. I know this person and that person, and the other person who, for whom that would never happen. Okay. So it is, it is extremely dangerous mm. form of abuse. In the early stages of gaslighting, when you're still arguing, when you still are rooted in your reality, um, it's possible to not feel devastated at that point. In the first place, in the stage one, as I call it, when you're basically dismissing and denying what the person is saying as as something serious, that's kind of crazy. I'm not going to take it seriously. Um, He's a little paranoid. He's a little jealous. That's why he thinks I'm such a flirt. Um, So not too dangerous, right? Maybe you don't have the best judgment in men. And so you're picking these guys who are doing this, but not too dangerous. The second stage, when you're arguing, defending yourself, I am not a flirt. Can't you see how much I care about you? Don't I, don't I give you evidence of that every single night? Um, dangerous because you are ruminating. Your mind space is taken up with playing and replaying and replaying these conversations to try to figure out who's right or wrong. And you've lost the, the um, connection to your own feelings there. So you've lost the ability to say, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. I feel like crap right now. You know, and he's making me feel like there's something wrong with me. And I don't like that. So you're in this power struggle that doesn't stop. Even when your gaslighter is not around, you're thinking of his responses in your mind. And you're having that argument over and over and over with yourself. It's one of the hallmarks of stage two. Pretty dangerous. Because it it impairs your ability to concentrate. It impairs your ability to make decisions. To It, it um, influences the way you talk about your relationship. You stop, in fact, talking about your relationship to people because you don't have a lot of good things to say anymore. And your closest friends, who in the book I call your flight attendants, are saying this. This doesn't feel right. How common is gaslighting? Very, it's very common. It's not uh, very common that it's stage three gaslighting, but I would say that many of the people who are listening to this podcast have either experienced it themselves, felt themselves the gaslighter inadvertently, not even realizing they were doing that. Oh, you're not hungry, you're tired. You're tired, aren't you? You're not, you're telling me you're hungry, but I know you're tired. Very typical, for example, parent communication to children. Very often I will hear, even today, with the exception of COVID, where we're not going to the grocery store that often, but you know, I'll hear today a mom say, you're not hungry. 
you're tired, undermining her child's or your friend's or your partner's sense of their knowing their own feelings and their own reality. How is it that I possibly know what you're feeling better than you? Is a gaslighter always aware of what they are doing or is it possible to gaslight subconsciously? You've just given a wonderful example. Um, I love that question. Gaslighters born this way, are they um, consciously aware? And the answer is people are not born gaslighters. Gaslighting happens um, as a, uh, socially, it's a product of socialization. It's a product of social awareness when you're growing up. You've either seen it happen or it's happened to you. You've experienced it or both, or you happened into it. So you kind of try it on by accident one day and it works because one thing we know about gaslighting, it does work. If you persist in that kind of communication with somebody who does that dance with you and buys into it, you will find that it's a very effective way to deflect responsibility, to not have to answer questions, to get your partner out of your hair at the same time that you're keeping your partner attached to you. Because on the the other side of the gaslight T side, it is maddening when you can't convince your gaslighter that you're okay, that they're not right about you. And one of the main reasons that people keep themselves stuck is that they don't want to let go of that dynamic. But I don't want to leave until I can show him that I wasn't flirting, or I don't want to leave until I can prove, well, it may never happen. But the gaslighter did not necessarily come into that with the diabolical uh, intentions that the Gregory character came into gaslighting in the movie 1944. Is it ever possible to gaslight ourselves? Because we obviously all have an inner critic, a voice inside that head that says maybe we're not talented enough or experienced enough. Is it possible that we can manipulate ourselves to almost change our perception of reality to suit maybe someone else's story for instance maybe you're in an argument with somebody and then you start to question your perception of this argument to the point where you start convincing yourself that maybe you're actually wrong when you're actually in the right happens all the time very common it's because we are most of us have a much um, easier time talking negatively and critically about ourselves than we do positively and affirmatively about ourselves, right? Gaslighting is another way of putting yourself down, questioning um, who you are and why you're doing the things you're doing. Um, And uh, I would say it's very popular to gaslight yourself, especially if you've been in a gaslighting relationship. When you start out thinking, there's no way. That's insane. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And over time, you're listening to somebody's voice tell you. And so then you're in this gaslighting relationship. But when you then internalize that voice and you're saying it yourself, then you're doing a good job of gaslighting yourself. You've learned the technique quite well. 
Is there a gaslighter personality? Are some people more susceptible to becoming gaslighters more so than others? Um, I would say yes and no, that anyone can be a gaslighter. When you're looking to have a certain outcome and you're communicating about that, even if the outcome is about your getting out of the conversation, as opposed to um, necessarily an outcome that you're looking to happen with somebody else. So you may be gaslighting just as a pathway so that you don't have to answer any questions. But that person then is doing the gaslight tango with you and is undermined, feels undermined and second guessing themselves. Um, so you can be any kind of personality. People who are insecure and don't know another way to stay attached to someone could resort to gaslighting or could play either side of the dynamic. Um, people who um, people are controlling, people who are insecure, people who uh, are very self-involved, who are narcissistic, who don't really think of themselves as um, as somebody else's uh, being in the sphere of importance. So obviously if you're narcissistic in an unhealthy way, since we all need to have a certain amount of narcissism, healthy narcissism is a good thing. But when we talk about it in this context, we're usually talking about unhealthy narcissism. And um, that means that what you want to do and everything important to you is the way it goes. So those those things can influence. Are quieter, more sensitive, insecure individuals more susceptible to being gaslighted? Maybe people who aren't so confident or secure in themselves? Yes, you are more vulnerable if you aren't secure. I, I wouldn't say if you're quiet, mm -hmm. that's necessarily the case. You can be very strong and, um, and quiet at the same time. But if you are not comfortable asserting your reality, that's what you mean by quiet. Okay. If you are, um, if you feel, if you have come from a, a home where your attachments are insecure, and so you are working worried that at any moment you could lose the relationship um, or you could lose the channel of communication with that person right then and there, uh, you're more vulnerable. If things in your home were, um, it was hard to tell if things were black or they were white or they were gray. And uh, it was just a question of, well, I see it this way, you see it this way. And so what is, what's real? We kind of live in a world right now where some of the context we're living in is just is serving that up to us all the time. Mm -hmm. Is it really dangerous to, I mean, pre-vaccine, is it dangerous to take the vaccines? And even now, is it not dangerous to take the vaccine? What's your reality? And so in a relationship, um, the what's very hard is that the reality people are talking about when they're in the gaslight tango is usually about your character or the gaslight's character or mental health or stability or values. I understand. Diving in deeper then, what would you say, Dr. Stern, are some of the first signs you are being gaslighted? Um, there are several. You're asking yourself, 
is there something wrong with me? Am I crazy? Multiple times a day. You have trouble making decisions. You notice that you are pulling away from some of the people who know you the best. You don't like talking about what happened on that last date or in the relationship because it could be embarrassing. You don't want to hear what other people have to say. You have an intuitive sense that something's wrong, but you just don't know what it is. Um, you don't feel like you're the same person you used to be. And as time goes on, you don't feel that you're the same. You were in fact not because you're not making your own decisions. You're relying, you're thinking about your gaslighter every time you have to make a decision. You often feel confused and crazy. You're always apologizing to your mother, your father, your boyfriend, your boss. You wonder frequently if you're good enough, girlfriend, wife, employee, friend, daughter. You can't understand why so many, with apparently so many good things in your life, you aren't happier. Uh, you buy clothes for yourself, you constant, and do other things for yourself where you're constantly holding your gaslighter in your mind and thinking about what he would think. You make excuses for your partner's behavior. You find yourself withholding information from friends and family, some of these I've just said to you. You start lying, you have trouble making simple decisions. You think twice before bringing up certain, um, certain innocent topics, seemingly innocent topics, but you know they're triggers for your gaslighter. Um, before your partner comes home, you go through a checklist in, in anticipation of something you may have done wrong that day. Uh, you feel as though you can't do anything right. And importantly and tragically, as you move through the stages, you lose your joy and you begin to feel hopeless to do anything about it. Wow, that's a really powerful list. Thank you for sharing. And I would love to know what is a person's best defense against gaslighting? How can we stop it from happening? That's a really good question. So the answer is it's very difficult once you're in it. Because when somebody challenges your reality, um, it's like losing the ground that you're walking on, right? So first, your gaslighter challenged your reality, and you felt destabilized, but then you bought into it, and now you have a new reality, and that reality is that you're being gaslighted. And then somebody else is coming into your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a parent or a sibling, and they're telling you something and they're challenging your reality. So the first thing is to be able, <clears throat> I think, to write down the dialogue you're having with your gaslighter and notice when the conversation goes from, I'm saying something to you, Scarlett, you're responding to me, I'm saying something back to you. You're responding to me. And we're talking about going to a, um, the mall together. And then all of a sudden, we're not talking about that anymore. You're talking to me, Scarlett, about what's wrong with me. You're talking to me about the fact that I'm, everybody knows I'm not fun. Everybody knows I'm a loser. And suddenly, I'm not thinking about the mall. I don't even remember that that's the question I asked you. I'm just thinking. She's right, I'm a loser. Um, so that being able to identify when it's happened, being able to manage your own emotions in the moment so that you can 
take a deep breath and say to yourself something like, this is gaslighting, I'm being manipulated, or, or simply, I don't like it. I don't like the way I feel. Mm-hmm. Being able to move away, to stop it. Um, being So aware, being aware of your feelings and being aware of the dynamic when it's happening. Would say really important to reach out to somebody who knows you well and say, I, I'm struggling with this. What do you think? Somebody you trust who you know will always have your back, like your best friend, as embarrassing as it may be, or your mom, or your sibling, or a trusted teacher. You know. One of the most common, for example, I know I'm diverting a little bit, one of the most common um, uh, ways that teen girls relate to each other in these like click from click to click or when they're being bullied is through gaslighting. So so something like this, um, where uh, we always sat together at lunch and I, you know, you're my one of my best friends, Scarlett, and we sit together at the same table at lunch and and then all of a sudden you're not saving me a seat anymore. And um, I go home and I talk to my mom about it and then I'm crying about it. I'm trying to reach you on the phone. You're not answering my phone call. So I go and I say to you, Scarlett, are you mad at me? Are you, are you upset with me? And you say to me, whatever, you are so sensitive. And I walk away from that interaction, maybe, and think to myself, she's right. I'm so sensitive. You still haven't responded about the lunch table. You still haven't told me if you're mad at me. All that's happened is that I walked away from the interaction feeling bad about myself and like there's something wrong with me for being sensitive. Or the, um, the couple I worked with where the, the uh, and I alluded to them earlier when I was going into that little role play about being a flirt on the street. So um, the boyfriend told his girlfriend that she was flirting with everyone on the street and uh, that he'd like for her to walk with her head facing down, with her eyes averted down while they were walking on the street. So she wouldn't have to see anyone and she wouldn't flirt with them. And um, when he asked her to do that, he told her he was being helpful to her and helpful to the relationship. And in fact, when they would go out to dinner, he would choose a seat so that she was always facing the wall. And when she finally came to therapy because things got to, she began to feel a little bit like she was in prison or, in uh, confined in a way where she couldn't even look up when they were walking down the street. She said to me, but Dr. Stern, isn't it true that if I don't look up, I won't see anyone to flirt with and we won't have the fight. Isn't that true? The only reason we have the fight over and over and over again is because I did that. Pretty powerful. Mm. Because in fact it was true, right? If she didn't look up, they wouldn't have had the fight. So we have spoken a little bit about partnerships, family members, we've mentioned friends. In which relationships does gaslighting predominantly show up? The closer you are, the more dependent you are, the more likely it's going to happen. That's interesting. Especially because in, in, a, in a family relationship or in a partnership, in an intimate relationship, um, 
the stakes are usually higher at your leaving than if you're being gaslighted in the workplace, although it can be devastating to be gaslighted in the workplace. And you may not be intimate with your boss, but you certainly feel dependent on your boss for an evaluation. And so if a lot of the gaslighting is about how you are being undermined and you're second guessing yourself and your performance, and are you in fact doing a terrible job or are you, you don't hear the instructions correctly, like what's wrong with you, um, that can be very devastating and you're not necessarily intimate. I don't remember where I started that sentence, but um, but it's not, uh, it's not as likely to happen over time because you can leave. And just knowing you can leave will sometimes allow you to have the agency to say, you know what, the way you said that to me didn't land on me really well. And um, I'll make another appointment. We can continue the conversation. But right now, I, I need to go back to my office. Or, um, and even that's risky. If you put off someone who's intent on undermining you in that moment, because it is a form of psychological bullying as well. Um, but it, I'm interested in your reaction. So you said that's interesting, as if you were expecting me to say something else. I think just gaslighting to me, I haven't been gaslit, but I think that there are some gaslighting behaviors that people do subconsciously without really noticing. So even though I've never been in a relationship with a gaslighter, I don't have a family member who's a gaslighter, I am recognizing behaviors, even mm -hmm. from friends or people who I have worked with. So I'm finding it very interesting dissecting the different stages of gaslighting because you do have to take agency, you do have to be aware, you do have to be able to step back and analyze what's going on and if it's deeper. And I also work a lot being a speaker at universities and in schools. So recognizing these patterns, I'm finding it very interesting going through everything that you're saying, being the expert, to be completely honest. I mean, what's, thank you for that, for that answer. And I have an answer to your answer. So, um, it, people may try to gaslight you, but that's a different question or a different issue than where does gaslighting happen the most often? Because if you're not stepping into that tango, then that could be a gaslighting behavior, but you're not being gaslighted. You can recognize it as he's trying to gaslight me, but that's different than feeling like, am I crazy? He says, I'm crazy. I don't think I'm crazy, but but he says I'm crazy. Maybe I am. I find it very, quite scary how quickly or how um, manipulative gaslighters can be. Because as you're explaining it, even giving this example of the couple, it seems innocent because what they want to both achieve is not having this argument. Mm -hmm. But the way that he's going about it. And the way she's feeling, it's very scary how things can escalate. Not everything is as it seems. It can seem innocent. It can seem helpful. But actually beneath the surface, it's a lot more dangerous than maybe one would initially think. It, yes, because the reality that you buy into is a reality that can flatten you 
that can really destroy your confidence and and um, and the ground you're standing on. So here here's another example, which is not that uncommon, unfortunately. Uh, uh, so I mean, this extreme example may be not that common, but these dynamics not that uncommon. Um, a couple presents themselves in my office, and uh, after he was seeing other women outside the relationship. They have an exclusive commitment. He says to me in front of his girlfriend, well, you know, I'm a man. Like I travel for business and I want female company. I invited her to come with me, but she doesn't want to come with me. So obviously if she came to, to these trips with me, I wouldn't be with other women. So whose fault is it? You tell me. She didn't come and now she's complaining. Like, I think that she's really a bitch. Like, she won't do what I ask her to do. She won't come with me. And then she's telling me that I can't be with other women. I don't want to be with other women. It's her fault. And she, who's also in the room, says, you can you, I could see in her face that she could, knew there was something wrong with that construction of the reality, right? But she said, it is my fault. He's right. Because if I went to those conferences with him, he wouldn't be with other women. So whose fault is it? Yeah, I find it, I'm finding it quite scary how much society as well can encourage gaslighting, maybe without realizing. And what is coming to mind is this was years ago, I knew someone uh, very close to me who was sexually assaulted. She told her partner that she had been sexually assaulted. And his response was, it's because of how you dress. Yes. And what is coming to mind now is how dangerous or triggering, actually, the vocabulary is from when women are sexually assaulted and whether it's being portrayed in the mass media or however it may look, you, the question does come up of, well, what were you wearing? Yes. And this, I'm now understanding, is a lot more dangerous. And I always knew that was a terrible question. And I have always brought it to my followers' attention. And I have always written about this, about that we need to change this language. But now I'm realizing that actually this can be gaslighting language that is being used. It definitely is. In fact, with the popularity of the Me Too movement, um, from my perspective, was women reclaiming their reality. So, you know, uh, so many young women um, say things like, well, you know, he was, we were in a meeting and he put his hand on my knee. Um, and I looked at him and he just said, don't look at me. You know, or he said, I confronted my boss about, um, not wanting to go to conferences that really don't exist, but really it's just him and me. And he said that I'm making too much of a big deal. He just wanted some time out of the office um, where we could focus and work alone, right? Um, or other kinds of uh, unwanted physical um, contact with people in the office where you know there's something wrong. And you feel like you need to go along with it in order to appease the person, which in and of itself is problematic and, and terrible. 
Um, and then the person says to you that it's your problem, that you're making a big deal about it. So in the Me Too movement, it was such a, I think, incredibly wonderful that women were able to reclaim their reality, that in fact, it is a big deal mm. if somebody's violating you, your boundary, whatever your boundary is. In fact, it is a big deal when somebody tells you there's something wrong with you and blames you for some act of violence or or unkindness or um, mistreatment that they're perpetrating. One dynamic I would like to discuss is being gaslighted by your parents. Mm-hmm. Is this common? Does it happen? Is it always subconscious? Can it be intentional? Are there common signs to look out for? Because it's incredibly hard as a child, no matter what age you are, to look at your parents and maybe analyze or dissect their behavior using this kind of lens. Yeah. It, so, yes, it is unfortunately way more common than, than we would like it to be. And in many cases, it's not that parents set out to gaslight their children. It's simply that um, they want to control the moment, like in the supermarket, you know, um, uh, sitting down with your child and explaining that, yes, even though he's hungry, um, he, we're going to have dinner in an hour and um, he can wait. I mean, that would be a great approach, but parents don't often want to spend the time, think of doing that, have the language handy for alternative explanations. So they just grab their children's arm and say, you're not hungry, you're tired. And um, so in that situation, they just want, they want to get what they want. Or in another situation, um, I'm thinking about how often parents gaslight their children to, without meaning to undermine their children, but because they want them to see something in a certain way. And I was thinking of an example and it's not coming to mind right now. Um, It isn't coming to mind, but what is coming to mind is this cartoon that used to hang in this office suite that that I see patients in in New York. It was so great and so popular that somebody actually took it from the office after reading it. So we don't have it anymore for everyone to see. But it was something like a a child wakes up in the morning and his parent says, you know, we're going to go to um, we're going to do something fun today. And then they go to the dentist instead. And then you see the child. The next frame is the child the next day. um, The other parent says to the child, you know what? We're going to visit some people who you really want to see. And then the child goes to the dentist or something. And and again, it's a series of things where um, the child is being told one thing and then is forced to do something else. And at the end of the um, cartoon strip, I wish I could remember it. um, The child says something like, well, there must be some something wrong with me, because why would all these people who love me, tell me the wrong thing. They would never do that, would they? And I mean, that's terrible representation of what that cartoon was. It was more succinct and and it was very powerful. But it's this idea that when your parent is telling you something, 
you assume it is coming either from a place of love or definitely from a place of power or knowledge, at least when you're a little kid. And one of the reasons I wrote the book that I wrote um, was that I saw a father do it to his child right in, in a park that I was walking in, you know, where you see a child feeling really good about playing with the ball and, and the father starts to criticize this kid. And you could just see this child taking in the information. He was having a great day, was feeling good about himself. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't that good kid. He was a bad kid. He was clumsy because the ball went out of the fence and he was a clumsy kid. And didn't I tell you, don't you know you're so clumsy and what's wrong with you and all of those words. So what your parent tells you becomes your self-talk as you grow up, right? We know that. And so if your parents talk to you is always in opposition to the way you see the world, you're holding on to that. And you wonder, I don't see it like that, but I obviously don't know. As children grow up and become older, are there any particular gaslighting behaviors that parents use as their maybe children, if you like, become adults to assert control? Everything from you don't know how to manage money, you haven't had any experience, you don't know what you're talking about, to the, the only person who's ever going to love you like this is your mom. Nobody, you're, you are, you're a loser. You're a loser. Look at you. You can't even get out of bed this morning. You know, things like that, that really are shots immediately at your self-esteem. And one time it hurts. Two times it really hurts. Three times you're wondering if it's true. Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clark, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organization, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.